I usually have something uh, that I've got set off to the side, but I was listening to a song, and it was, I am a child of the king. And I thought to myself, what does it mean to really be a child of the king? I'm going to read something uh, to you right now that Kathy shared with the ladies, and she gave Tammy a warning ahead of time that I probably would share it. But I want to read this to you. Our churches today are in trouble. It says, My dear brothers in Christ, there's an old story that recounts the training program of three demons who are apprentices to Satan himself. They each meet with the devil to complete their training, proposing ideals to wreak havoc in the lives of men, and so turn them away from Christ. The first demon proposes that he will convince people that there is no sin. The devil responds that while it is a good ideal, it will not work because people know the reality of sin from their experience of humanity. The second demon proposes that people be convinced that there's no hell. Well, once again, the devil rejects the ideal, saying that the notion of judgment is deeply ingrained and that people would not buy the ideal that there are no negative eternal consequences for what we do on this earth. Finally, the third demon <clears throat> proposed that people be convinced that there is no hurry, that there's no need to inconvenience themselves at this moment with this or that aspect of living their faith, but that they can wait until another day. The devil responded by telling the apprentice that his plan was perfect, convincing man of the fact that no real urgency is needed would give the devil and his minions plenty of time to have their way. I was talking this morning in Sunday school about the condition of America today. America for a long time has been walking backwards, <clears throat> and it's walked itself to the edge of a cliff, and the rocks are beginning to crumble, and one more fatal step, and it's going to collapse. But for years, there has people that have infiltrated our government and our schools our corporations, our universities, our media, and ever entities. And they've been infiltrated with those whose ideology is in opposition to the founding principles of this nation, which was founded on the Word of God. But this includes the church. The church has been infiltrated. For years, the pendulum has been swinging from left to right off center, but now the pendulum has swung far left. There has been a fog of darkness for years that has been creeping throughout America, and it's dimming the light. It grows dimmer each day. And there's never been a time such as this that the light needs to grow brighter. In 1 Thessalonians, it tells us, therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. It's a warning that time is passing by. It's a time to take action and fulfill the purpose for which we have been called. Now, in Judges, I read a verse out of uh, chapter 2, verse 10. It said, there's a generation who did not know God, nor the works that he had done for Israel, and I want to apply that to America today. There's a generation that does not know God, nor do they know what God did for America. We still have a responsibility as people of God 
to do, and that is to share the gospel. We are children of God. Hallelujah. We are children of the Most High, the King of Kings. And whether we are paupers or we're rich, whether we have money in the bank or we have no money in the bank, whether our cupboards are full of, full of food or whether they're not full of food, it's not what we have or what we have not, it's who we know. And that is Jesus Christ. And I'm afraid the church has been more focused on what they have instead of who they know. Now, what does it mean to be a child of God? A child of the Most High, a child of the King. Well, let's look at the child of an earthly king. The child of an earthly king surely has wealth, right? You know, I used to watch these uh, shows and they would have uh, the ambassador and and uh, this diplomat and their children would come to the United States and they would break a crime and they would get away with it. They had certain privileges. Well, an earthly king, you know it's going to include wealth, you're going to drive fancy cars, you're going to have land, you're going to have cash in your pocket to spend to satisfy every desire that you have. It includes special privileges and rights that's not offered to the commoner. But what about the child of a heavenly king? Well, there's wealth, but it's not worldly wealth, but it's eternal. And there are privileges and rights, but they are obtainable to all who desire to be his child. They're open to all. And although we see similarities, the wealth, the privilege, and the rights, they are clearly opposites. One is focused on the temporary, and the other, the eternal. As children of the king, the eternal king, the heavenly king, we should be focused on the eternal. So being a child of the heavenly king of kings. I'm going to read uh, John chapter 1, verse 12. <clears throat> This is what it says to us. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. We go to Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. It says, For you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. There's two things that's included in those two verses. Believing and faith. Now ladies, I don't want you to feel left out. Because this talks about the sons of God. And by the way, that word is inclusive of women. But to reassure you of that, I want to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and read verse 17 and 18. Wherefore, come out from among them, be ye separate, saith the Lord, touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters. There you go, you're included. Saith the Lord God Almighty. Now I want to go to Romans chapter 8. This is going to be our primary scripture that we're going to look at today. So if you've got your Bibles, you want to turn to Romans chapter 8. We're going to begin with verse 14. When you get there, say amen. amen. Let's read verse 14. It says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So this verse tells us, in order to be led, you have to be following somebody, right? Something. Those are led by the Spirit. Those that the Holy Spirit indwells, that they're obedient to, they are the sons of God. Now let's go to verse 15. 
For you have not received the spirit of bondage, again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. I'm going to show you something. We're going to get a child's lesson on this verse. This is probably the most beautiful verse that describes our relationship with God. I want to read it to you again. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. This is how we are born. Everybody see that dot? We have inherited the sin nature of Adam. As we grow, we lie. We steal. We become sexually immoral. We disobey our parents. We are greedy. We are temperamental. Everybody get in the picture here? We are jealous. We are violent. This is not presentable to the Father. It is not presentable to the Father. So what takes place? Something had to be done as a substitute for that. Jesus came to pay the entire penalty for sin. Everybody sin. Every wicked thing that you have done in your life. His blood covered it. The debt was paid. Incomplete. And the scripture tells us without the shedding of that blood, that perfect blood of Jesus who became the Lamb of God, there is no removal of sin. That's the only thing that will remove. But guess what? We are still not presentable to the Father. Something has to take place. When we go back to verse uh, in John, it says, first you have to believe. You have to believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. You have to believe that not only did he die on the cross for your sins, but he was buried and rose again on the third day, defeating sin and death. You have to believe that. Then you repent of that sin and put your, what was the next one in Galatians? By faith. You put your faith in what Christ did. When you do that, something changes. You see, adoption, the tradition of adoption, that when somebody was adopted, they would remove their old clothes and they would put on new clothes so their identity would be to their new family. This is what Jesus did for us. He removed that nasty unrighteousness and he clothed us in his righteousness. And that's why the scripture says that old things, what were the old things, that old sinful life? Old things are passed away. Now the new thing is the righteousness of Jesus. Now we are presentable to the Father. God did not save us from our sin so that we could just join his team. Does everybody understand what I'm talking about? 
He didn't, he didn't need us on his team. No, what he did was he rescued us from our sin to adopt us into his family. And so our adoption is that he has covered us with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Let's look at verse 16. Verse 16 says, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Not only did he adopt us into his family, God the Holy Spirit is placed within us to not only teach us, guide us, comfort us, but it secures us. It secures us. And let's look at verse 17 and verse 18. It says, And if children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. Ouch. And we're going to look at this because, you see, we are not children of an earthly king. We are children of a heavenly king. And Jesus himself said this, if you choose to follow him, you have to deny yourself, pick up your cross daily, and follow him. There will be suffering in this life. There will be persecution in this life. And the pastor's been doing a great job teaching us that. But we are joint heirs with Christ. In verse 18, it says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. You know, I'm sick of the, this whole world. The pain, the struggles, the troubles, the, just all of it. Why could he say this in this scripture? Well, let's look at Philippians chapter 2 and read verse 6 and 8. It says, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal to good with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Why should we suffer for Christ? He suffered for us. He suffered for us. Is the servant any greater than the master? No. We have a moral obligation, not a duty, to the one who has given us everything. And in Romans chapter 12, that's why Paul was able to say this in verse 1 and 2. Because he's given us everything, because he's clothed in his righteousness, because we are joint heirs with him in eternity, Paul was able to say this, I beseech you, I beg you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, or because of his mercy, that you yourself present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What is the perfect will of God? That none should perish, but all come to the saving grace of Jesus Christ. We are his sons and daughters. 
In Romans 8, 28, he tells us, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. All things. Sometimes there's some things I don't like. But he said that all things, all things. Why? He's conforming us to the image of Christ. In Romans chapter 8, I'm going to read these verses. So who shall lay anything to the, to the charge of God's elect? <laughs> it's God that justifieth. So who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. You know, we live in a time right now, we're a little concerned about these issues in this verse. Famine, and peril, and trials, distress. The world's a mess. Verse 36, as it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long, we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. We are his sons and his daughters. Amen. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. And there's plenty coming. And we ought to be ready. Nor height, nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in who? Christ Jesus our Lord, the one who shed his blood for us, who freed us from sin and death and was resurrected. So whether I'm a pauper or a prince, doesn't matter. It don't matter. We have to continually remember that we are seated with Christ in the heavenly realm. We are citizens of heaven. We are not citizens of this earth. But with privilege comes responsibility. Responsibility as ambassadors of good news, which represents the family to which we belong. What were the desires of Jesus? To seek and save that which was lost. What does it say? that none should perish, but all come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Who did Jesus die for? Everybody. What is our responsibility to share that with others? In John chapter 3, verse 30, when they were flocking to John the Baptist, John the Baptist said this, Jesus, he must increase but I must decrease. You know, our problem as American Christians, we want to increase. And we need to decrease. We have grown comfortable with what we have. We've almost come to expect it. We've almost come to expect it. It just amazes me. Are we even ready to begin suffering? But John says, he must increase and I must 
This is not the way of the world. How does the world feel? They feel entitled. They feel owed everything. They think they deserve privileges, and they claim it's their right. But let's see what we really deserve. In Revelation 3.17 it says, Because thou sayest I'm rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor, and blind and naked. What is it we deserve? We deserve judgment. But we've been shown grace. And as Christians we have no rights. We are dead in Christ. We're baptized in Christ. Dead people don't have rights. They don't have opinions. They don't speak. Anything we say or do should identify with the one who is our Savior. As children of the King of Kings, we must get our priorities straight and we must get our relationship with Him right. Salvation was a gift that was not earned nor can be earned. And the things of this world are only temporary. And that's hard for us to grasp. I want to turn to Luke chapter 12, and I'm going to read uh, verses 13 through 21. Luke 12, 13 through 21. And one of the companies said unto him, Master, speak to my brother, that he divide the inheritance with me. Hey, I've seen that take place, by the way, in my lifetime. And he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisted not in the abundance of the things which he possessed. And he spoke a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentiful. Mm. We see where this one's going. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns, build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. You see, as a child of the king, our wealth is not in what we have here on this earth. In James chapter 4, verse 10, it says this, Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and He will honor you. He will lift you up. So let's look at our privileges. Let's look at the wealth that we have as, as children of, uh, of God, children of the Most High, children of the King of Kings. The wealth we have, the privileges we have, and the rights. First of all, we have eternal life in His kingdom. That's the wealth. That is the wealth. In John chapter 14, verse 1 through 3, this is Jesus Himself making this promise. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Who goes? Jesus goes. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am 
there you may be also. That is where our wealth is at. It's eternal. We are joint heirs with Christ. And we could count on Jesus' words because if he said he was going to be crucified, and he was, he said he was going to resurrect, and he did, and he said he's going to come back and take us home, he will. So eternal life in his kingdom. Then we have the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 through 14. In whom you also trusted, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of per the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory. So not only is our wealth in, in heaven, but here while we're on this earth, we have the Holy Spirit that we are sealed and nothing could, could change our relationship with Christ. It is a contract, a binding contract. And the only time it's going to change is when He comes back as He promised and removes us out of here. We are sealed with that promise. And then we have, we have been freed from sin and death. In Romans chapter 8, verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. You know, I said earlier that sin has no power over you. Do you know when you were clothed in the righteousness of Christ, your old father, the devil, had no hold on you any longer? You don't owe him anything. You were freed from that, and you've been given eternal life. And here's one of the, the, the privileges we have. You can go boldly to the throne room. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, it says, Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Go boldly to the throne room to who? Our Abba Father. Our Abba Father. And don't we all need grace sometimes? And we need mercy sometimes. We need help sometimes. So here's the thing. If we are children of God, if we are children of the Most High, if we are children of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, let's live in the realm of that adoption. Let's live in the realm of it. In 1 John 2, and I'm closing with this. This may be a, a short message for you today. But 1 John chapter 2, verse 28, he says, And now, little children, abide in him. Well, what does that word abide in him? Live in him. Live for him. That when he shall appear. How many of you believe Jesus is coming back? You know, I, I said this morning, it may be today, tomorrow, a thousand years from now, I don't know, but he tells us to do what? To watch. To watch. Because we know it's going to happen. But in the meantime, not just watch, but be working. It says that now little children abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence. Is your confidence in these worldly things? That's the question we need to ask ourselves. Is our confidence in these worldly things? 
Do you know in an instant things can change? Do you think the people in Ukraine was expecting Russia to destroy everything they've got? They were living their lives. They were content. Now there's war. Do you think we're exempt from anything like that? Because we're special, we're Americans? My friend, we are not. And I told you earlier, America's walking backwards to the edge of a cliff, and we're there. Is your confidence in what you have here on this earth, or is it in who you know? He says that we may have confidence, and listen, <clears throat> and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Man, there's times I've been ashamed. But you want to know something? His love never changes. His love never changes. I have been ashamed. And if he was to come on those days I felt like that, I would have been found ashamed. But yet, he is forgiven, and he is cleansed. And when he does come back, I don't want to be ashamed. I don't want my trust to be in what I have here on this earth. I want it to be what he has planned for me in eternity. In church, we've got a responsibility. Churches all over the United States, all over the world, we need to get our eyes off the world and get them back on Christ and why he came forward to begin with. I'm going to close there. Let me close in a word of prayer. Father, we are so thankful for what Jesus did for us on that cross. We were so unworthy. And it's hard for us to understand how deep your love goes. An unconditional love. Father, I pray, Lord, that you will open our eyes, that you'll wake us up out of slumber across this nation. Father, we need a spiritual awakening today. We talk about in 2 Chronicles seven fourteen about healing the nation. That healing of a nation is a spiritual awakening. It's the church waking up. And Father, I pray, Lord, that across this nation that our churches will begin to wake up, that your people will begin to wake up and understand the urgency before it's too late. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.